All right, uh, are we doing the beginning of this? Yeah, you want me to do it? I mean, yeah, you have it. <laughs> you don't want to do it? I don't have it. Memorized. All right, come on, guys. I don't have the beginning. All right, what episode is this? Seven. Seven. Hey guys, welcome back to the Every Plant Story podcast, the podcast where we share all kinds of plant stories in and out of our plant community and some behind the scenes from us in our lives here at Gabriella Plants. My name is Shane Malloy. I'm your host for today's podcast, as well as the owner of Gabriella Plants. And to my right, I have our co-host, Brett Weiss, who is our head grower at Gabriella Plants. Hi, guys. And again, Zach in the third chair, who is our media director for Gabriella Plants as well. Howdy, howdy. Awesome to have you gentlemen. Uh, happy to be back from my trip as well. Uh, thank you guys for and all the rest of the team for facilitating Miriam and I being able to get away for our anniversary last week. So of that course. was uh, something we do every end of September and it's a very special time for us. And <laughs> happy to be back as well. Um, we have a very special podcast guest today. Um, we're going to get to that in just a short minute. Um, before we do, though, just wanted an opportunity to say that we've made a couple quick changes to our um, shop hours here locally. Um, just to recap, we're open Wednesday and Thursdays from 1 to 6. So the Thursday times have changed to being that same 1 to 6. Uh, Friday and Saturday is 10 to 6. And new hours on Sunday afternoon, 1 to 6, effective now. So um, And I will be there, so come and hang out with me on Sundays. And if Brett's there, there's like a 10% chance I'll also show up there to pick Brett's mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you may run into me there on the Sunday afternoon as well. Saturdays are normally the day that I disconnect um, throughout the mm -hmm. week. So it would be nice to have uh, Sunday afternoon, have Brett over there. Mm -hmm. So if you have plant questions uh, and they don't get answered in this podcast and you're local to <laughs> Orlando... Go uh, bother Brett on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> I'm sure he would love uh, to meet you and get to uh, answer any questions you may have. Uh, last note, inventory-wise, um, this is kind of peak inventory, Brett. Um, yeah. We have a lot of really good stuff. Um, some cool promotions Zach and I are working on, too, for the, the upcoming week. So definitely keep your eyes posted. I know the weather's starting to shift around, but we're very confident here at mm -hmm. Gabriella Plants in our ability to ship through the winter. We had a roughly 1.96% damage rate last winter. Not even 2%! I know. And of that, roughly speaking, it was only about 0.8% that was our fault. The Most of the rest of it was just the delivery windows of the carrier being mm -hmm. longer than the heat pack lasts. And in those situations, Miriam and our customer care team would be absolutely happy to take care of any plant damage with the cold as long as our um, winter insurance is purchased, which is the way that we kind of cover um, the cost of heat packs and the additional weight that heat packs add to boxes when we have to ship them while also not selling the heat packs directly. Because mm -hmm. one thing we've kind of realized that worked really well for us over the past couple different winters is that the day in which you place the order, um, you may not know the most accurate weather forecast of when we actually go to ship your right. order. So um, part of that winter insurance uh, enables our team to have um, Juliana from our team normally does it, um, but kind of some uh, custom look at your local weather the day that we're planning on shipping your order and making the determination if we need to package it differently or include a heat pack or not. Um, based on the actual relevant data at the time of shipping. So we'll do all those winter checks and use any extra materials we need. And if anything does happen one way or the other, regardless of what decisions our team felt was best for the plant, because there are some situations yeah. in December where a heat pack will overheat something too. Right. So we have to be mindful of um, that. But we stand behind every plant shipped with the winter insurance, as we did all last year and the year before that. And we will happily replace or re refund anything damaged in that way. So if you have any question of whether or not you should get it, get it. 
Yeah. And if you live in an area where you know your weather is going to be particularly, you know, awful, if you are having a blizzard level mm -hmm. um, thing, you can always shoot us an email. We're more than happy to hold an order or um, respect that order and maybe let go of your plant in that crop, but hold you aside one for the next month's shipment. And if that starts to look better, we do that, especially in the springtime mm -hmm. for people who know that better weather is just a couple weeks away. So we're just all... because it's cold in your area doesn't mean you can't buy plants. Yes, absolutely. So um, definitely keep your eyes out on the website. Like I said, we're going to have some really cool promotions and some of the biggest plants we've had all year, honestly, oh, yeah. coming off right now. Oh, yeah. And uh, that's all going to flip by the end of October because then pretty much everything, not to say they get smaller, but mm -hmm. yeah, our focus as growers will shift to planting for spring of next year. And, uh, you know, <laughs> as the supplies of what we have grown for the remainder of 2021, kind of wrap themselves up our our focus will go to so that is something seasonally i think people do kind of see but maybe you've never really picked up on mm -hmm. like consciously it's just the fact that in the earlier parts of the year we tend to have on the shorter side of plants we do our best to keep the pictures updated and as the year and the batches go on um obviously towards the end of summer it's hard to keep things small <laughs> it's just so freaking warm out there and they're loving it and the afternoon thunderstorms are increasing the humidity even at our original location mm -hmm. so it's just a great time to grab a plant right now, especially before the holiday uh, shipping gets too complicated later in November. So October's a great month. Go check us out on GabrielleThePlants.com. With that, guys, anything else before we hop into this interview? No. Let's get it. All Let's right. It. Well, without further ado, our interview with Daryl at Houseplant Journal. Enjoy. <laughs> Well, today we have Daryl Chang with the Houseplant Journal. Um, we're really excited to talk to him today. Really cool Instagram. Yes, he uh, started started on Tumblr, then YouTube, then Instagram, answering thousands of questions about plant care and general plant knowledge. And it seems like you like to focus not on a specific type of plant, but more just general myths and you earned some major credit with me at least when you're willing to be on plants as early in the game as tumblr like that yeah. is that is a different that is a different level but uh it's great to have you daryl uh welcome to the podcast thank you thank you and i, I will say too that yeah I, I started on tumblr because at the time this was like oh, i think 20 2014 um you know it was a considered a micro blogging and really all i wanted to do was quite literally keep a journal of my houseplants and it, you know being able to upload either from my computer or my phone um, and also doing multiple pictures at a time it was like the ideal platform back then however of course as we all know audience size is a lot different depending on which platform you're on so then it kind of yeah moved to instagram and um what can i say just kind of took off from there what's what's been one of your most favorite things about maybe the last year or two, if you, if it, like, like I was saying, if you've been in it as far back as Tumblr, what has been maybe some of your uh, favorite parts of, of being able to grow, like you mentioned on different platforms, how, how has that been over time for you? Well, I think um, it, it actually comes down to having like more uh, varieties of people joining it and sharing their plant collections. Right. Mm. Because in, in a sense, if you think about, you know, pre, social media, um, you know, when could you enjoy people's plant collection is only if you went to their house or went to their nurseries or greenhouses, right? Um, but now we can get a glimpse into literally anyone's greenhouse as long as they have a you know smartphone and internet connection. 
So in a sense, getting to kind of, you know, peep into people's uh, uh, plant collections has been a really interesting thing. And of course, um, I think a, a great way to fuel getting lots of ideas um, in terms of how to grow things, but also in a sense, a little bit of uh, jealousy of like, oh, I want that one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one of the one of the many things I love about Daryl is that he didn't go to school necessarily for horticulture. He's you're an engineer, correct? That's right. Yes. I went to school for what's called industrial engineering. And that's basically the study of, um, you know, business process systems. And also it includes a bit of like ergonomics or how humans interact with systems and, and machines and physical objects and all that kind of fun stuff. So he's able so to that's, use, yeah, that's my background. He's able to use all of this, you know, scientific understanding and scientific way of mind and apply it to houseplant growth, which is just amazing. And it's a phenomenal source just for the community as a whole to be able to provide that information in the way that you do is like, I can't say thank you enough for like what you bring to the table. Yeah. Thank you. The other, the other crazy thing about, to me, obviously we're involved in social media selfishly because we run a business, (laughs) but it's always crazy to meet the people who like became a real big part like Daryl has of the plant community Mm -hmm. while also, yeah, that not him not being there because that's the occupation of being there. Like he mentioned every, you know, nowadays greenhouses can share what's going on, you know, just via our smartphones, but to have people from all different walks of life and and working on all different types of not like from the basics to the most advanced, anytime you can bring somebody's, you know, unique perspective something you know outside the box we talk about it a lot here at gabriel the plants like as more you can think as an outsider the Mm -hmm. better so i love it when you find these really passionate plant people who become huge you know parts of the plant community that also like you're saying brett like that wasn't they're not in it because of it it being necessarily the career choice right but because of something they're truly passionate about and the passion always shines through i mean it's very transparent one of the things we wanted to kind of go over today were some common myths, though, Brett. You yeah, we're going to do plant myth busters <laughs> today. Because if there's anyone who's probably gotten way more DMs than even we do, it's probably <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> so he has probably seen one of everything. Is there any uh, funny stories that you get um, just being who you are? Obviously, we get a lot of people asking questions, follow up to plants that we sell and things. I'm curious, just out of sheer curiosity on the podcast are there things that just come completely out of left field for you that still surprise you um i i suppose it's a well maybe a little bit of related to business i suppose but like if you think about any other industry of um that involves you know learning a craft of some kind like let's say cooking or you know just even exercising so it's like you think of ways that people like, do you think you could ever DM like a, a semi-famous <laughs> personal trainer and ask them, Hey, can you look <laughs> at my form and like, tell me how I do right. this or how do I get you know bigger biceps or something like that? Right. It's like you can give people tips and tricks here and there and all this stuff. But at some point it's like, you know, you've written so much stuff that's just already freely on your page mm-hmm. and then people want to dive in and kind of have that consultation feel, right? Um, I mean, look, I also, in, in professionally, I'm surrounded by lawyers, like my wife's a lawyer, my dad's a lawyer. I have, a lot, I have lots of lawyers in my family. And it's like, you know, they charge hundreds of dollars exactly. for every half hour to talk to them, right? And it's like, not to say, of course, you know, legal advice is a lot different than plant advice. But, you know, it's, it's in the same line that 
if anybody is really serious about wanting to grow their their plant collection and plant hobby, then you know you, you got to almost look at it like you know don't just expect that somebody will will like give you a whole consultation as if it was nothing, right? Thank you. Preach. I want to say preach. Like, yes. Yeah, if this is already going to take me five minutes just to read the synopsis, you know? But it goes to show you that sometimes, you know, it goes to show you the wealth. One of the things you kind of, like, mention in some of your literature is just that there isn't a whole lot of good sources of information and there is always a heart to wanting to, mm-hmm. especially if you're the guy who knows the answer from experience or whatever, how, however else you got the, you know, that experience under your belt. Yeah, you want to do the thing, whether in, in a grower aspect or just in life, of passing that down to hopefully prevent somebody else from going through that. Mm-hmm. But also there's that line of, yeah, I can't sit here and actually go through each individual right. one either. Um, but I think that's why we kind of wanted to go through some of these myths with you, Daryl, because we hope to hit mm-hmm. as many things as possible um that we can hit to hopefully give some um solid answers um to some of these most commonly misunderstood uh kind of topics here all right so to start it off you just so happened to post about this a couple days ago so i i want to you know go out the gates with this but let's talk about low light plants and i'm air quoting low light plants here because Mm -hmm. it's uh why don't why don't you start with that and and i'll jump in sure sure so you know what I'm going to be posting about this topic, like like literally the the phrase "thrives in low light," which you know <laughs> many people say. I'm going to be probably like on a like regular rotation talking about this because this this saying just really needs to be broken down um, for for what it is, and that is it has like long been I think a miscommunication between horticulturalists and interior designers mm-hmm. because horticulturalists when they're talking about low light, if we were to kind of say objectively, what are they talking about? They're talking about low uh, duration of full, like of unobstructed sun exposure. So like, you know, under a forest canopy, like that's easily understand you standing under a forest, you know, the sun maybe peers in a little bit through the breaks in the trees and the branches. Um, but it is not an opaque <laughs> thing blocking out the rest of the sky. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Nor, then, nor is it doing it for a very long period of time. Like you said, like trees shuffle, the wind blows, and there's some additional, you know what I mean, rays of light that get to come in. It definitely doesn't stay locked in that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so, like, I often think about I, I, whenever I, you know, give these presentations, I'll say, you know, the indoors is really more like a cave where, like, you know, got rocks and, and walls and opaque to the sky. So it's like, if a plant were to live in a cave, it would got to, it's probably got to be as close to the opening as possible. Mm. Right. Um, and so like I could go all into like the real objective, like, you know, daily light integral. If you were to just sit there and take a light meter that has this capability of logging the light levels throughout the day, you put one in the forest and you put one in your house, then you'll see the difference. And then, you know, end of story, we, we can be perfectly objective, but unfortunately people don't necessarily have these instruments. So they can only kind of go on, you know, the word of people like us who, who want to make that distinction so that we're not like misinterpreting, like, like I said, like the interior designer who says, oh, you said it thrives in the light. I can put it in the bathroom. Right. right? With no window. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the job before I had 
uh, before I was grower here, I was a wholesale plant broker. And so that's the question we would get a lot is, so we have this client who wants to put a palm in the basement bathroom. Um, it doesn't have a window. Um, the light will only get turned on when someone happens to go down there to wash their hands. And they're like, so what do you recommend? And it's like, well, really nothing. I mean, I know my job is to sell you plants, but my I, job is also to make sure the plants don't die. Uh, yeah, like <laughs> Ikea does have some nice plastic ones, right. a question mark. Yeah. Like, <laughs> at what point do you just go artificial as much as it pains my heart? No, but you bring up a really good point, um, which is that especially in the day and age where we live with something as rich as the internet as instructions, it's been mind-boggling to our team as it is to you from this conversation that we still use these generic phrases mm -hmm. to describe different care instructions. You know, it likes to remain moist. Okay, well, that's a pretty wide, right. you know, range of what that is, depending on what medium you're in. And then not to mention what is moderate indirect light, you know, that doesn't really interpret <laughs> down to somebody's individual setting, while at the same time, you know, your phone can tell you, you can measure, you know, the new iPhones can measure distances on a, just by pointing your camera at different things mm -hmm. and can remember notes on specific <laughs> geolocations. Like we're so far into the AR and we have all these advanced tech, you know, our fridge has a screen on it, uh, you know, all these things, yet we can't seem to use some of these same meters, like a Lux meter that measures light exposures. Mm -hmm. That's not a new advancement. Right. Um, in fact, there is just an area there hasn't been a lot of advancement in. Um, most of it all is still analog, but they're under $20, $40, depending on the one you can buy. And now all of mm -hmm. a sudden, like you're talking about, you're talking with an actual number, seeing what the outside light is versus the indoor. We do that in our greenhouses with different sensors, and we measure outdoor lux versus different ranges and different benches under different shade cloths uh, just to know the effectiveness. Because even though it says shade cloth you know, blocks out 60% of light, that doesn't always necessarily equate to 60% less mm -hmm. light exposure to the plant. So for all those reasons, on the grower side, we find those instruments really helpful it would be amazing in the future as technology continues to improve as customers begin to embrace that more and more because then we'd be talking about tomatoes versus tomatoes here. Right. I, I also oh, yeah. find it... I, I was gonna, oh, sorry. I wanted to just add, like, I really love that you talked about the shade cloth. The growers are the ones who have to do this, um, you know, growing things on a consistent basis, meaning you have to produce a product that's got to be repeatable and and... Um, you know, with consistent quality. So that's why the documentation that I, like I always read is always the University of Florida, um, you know, growers guides because mm -hmm. gonna, theirs is going to be the most consistent. And of course, then I also have to kind of, you know, reel it backwards a little bit, uh, realizing that realistically, I don't have a greenhouse. So I have to understand that I'm not going to achieve the same level as mm -hmm. they do, but at least I know what they're, you know, aiming for. Exactly. Um, I think it's also interesting that, I think that the few big hitters of what people sell or say are quote unquote low light plants are going to be your Zamiococcus, Zamifolia, or ZZ plant, and your Dracaena, once Sansevieria, or snake plants. And it's interesting mm -hmm. that both of those plants that are sold for low light are native to Africa, and they're basically being grown in full sun in their native habitats. <laughs> and yeah. people, uh, people don't realize that one, these things are alive, and two, in order for them to grow best, 
you essentially want to mimic their natural environment as closely as possible. Mm-hmm. And it dovetails into a, a guest we had on previously who mentioned the, I'm curious what Daryl thinks, um, in some cases, because you're right. I mean, there are even just with, we could go down the list of, of families or, or genuses to cover, but the vast majority of plants that get produced in Florida get produced in high high end light, mm. if not under shade cloth and not even like the true poly, you know, barrier between the two. That all being said, though, one of our previous guests, the houseplant guru, was talking about the need for, in some cases, to even think about transitioning if you are going to try to push that plant towards making it a quote unquote low light plant as much as we're mm-hmm. probably causing Daryl's anxiety to go up every time we say that <laughs> phrase. Um, you know, it, it, at least then you're being intentional with what you're right. doing to the plant, but to, yeah, like you're saying, bring in a plant that was in the Lowe's garden center that was very bright and you had your sunglasses on and then put it into the bathroom, probably not a recipe that the plant, you know, that's just not something that would happen in nature. Again, if right. a new tree branch grows, that's over a season. That's more light blocking over mm-hmm. a transitional period, not, you know, taking it home and putting it next to your sink in a very dark place. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I was going to ask, add also that, um, you know, from the post that I made the other day, which is to say that instead of thinking of rise and low light as something to say, oh, it will, I will be extremely happy with this plant in my dark bathroom. You should really think of it as this plant can die gracefully and slower than if I were to put any other type of plant. <laughs> and I would, I would maybe notice it a little bit less than, let's exactly. say, a fiddly fig drop all its leaves in a month, right? Exactly. And maybe that's so a myth it, it, in and of yeah. itself. It's not necessarily a shameful thing to buy a plant knowing you're doing something a little bit outside of its comfort zone mm-hmm. in the same way you would buy a cut flower. It kind of hurts our hearts right. to see a plant pass away. But again, context is key there. If you know that you're just trying to have it there in the full sun for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. then that's a different situation than trying to make sure it's going to you know, survive long-term in your environment. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that, you know, that's a good myth, Brett. What, and give me another good myth we can bust here because I like the role we're on. Okay. Um, let's talk about humidity as far as, uh, humidity trays, like pebbles in a dish under (laughs) your plant. And then, um, with that, let's say misting Misting or, or have you seen just curious, have you seen the, uh, just put it in a Ziploc bag and leave it there for a couple weeks Mm -hmm. just to increase the humidity too? Uh, okay, so actually, let's even take a step behind back and, and talk about humidity in general. And that is, again, it comes back to the whole measuring thing, which is that for me, I've, I've measured my humidity through now two years in this one space. And I and not just in one spot. I also I have like four hygrometer thermometers, like you know, a little combination device. And I'm just constantly watching them. And I've never used a humidifier. I do have an IKEA cabinet, but inside it's it's, there's no humidifier. It's just well sealed. Mm-hmm. So the evaporation from all the, the moistened media actually causes it, the whole space to be well humidified. And the fact that it's well sealed means that this, the humidity doesn't actually escape very well, which means that the inside of the cabinet stays in the 70 to 80 percent humidity range. And then my ambient space, like, you know, in the summertime and springtime, the ambient humidity stays similar to what it is outside. So let's say 40 to 60 percent. And then in the winter, it gets down to like 25 to 30%. So knowing all of these numbers, then 
like I'm gonna maybe this might be a little bit of a cop out, but I'll say this: yeah. it's that I'll just buy whatever plants that you know kind of tickle my fancy. Um, but then I'll also say, okay, look, if you are going to get all crusty and not look very nice after a year or something, and, and this is the humidity I have, well, then that's too bad. And this is the sort of natural selection, if you will, of my, of right. my own space, which is I'm only going to keep the ones that look good in this, in this ambient humidity level. Now, having said that, I still haven't encountered like, okay, maybe, uh, anthurium, or Crianum, you know, the really nice long leaf one. I, I do have that one in ambient humidity, and, you know, the leaf is not quite as nice and perfect straight as it could be if it was 80% all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like a maidenhair fern, I can keep that alive just fine as long as the media is always moist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in a sense, it's like I don't engage in any of these. <laughs> I once even quoted, like, I even wrote it down. I said, I don't engage in pointless misting. I love um, it. I love it. And, and, and that is to say that I don't mist in the area for the purpose of trying to raise the humidity. I do mm-hmm. mist, for example, like a moss pole to actually keep it wet because you want to deliver the moisture, you know, onto the surface, right? That's, I think, a good use of misting. Of course. But in terms of pebble trays and humidifiers, like I don't use any of that. And I just say, okay, look, all the plants, this is what you get, you know, now it's your turn to perform. Exactly. Me, if you right? make it, you make it. If you don't, well, there will be others to replace you. <laughs> yeah. And I think, honestly, that was so refreshing to just sit back and hear because that <laughs> is such a good perspective. And, you know, and it also kind of backs up to something that is kind of a personal thought, which I'll bring up now, which is that really a better way of looking at most often plants is to view water and humidity as a combo moisture mm-hmm. puzzle. Because, you know, Mm. there are a lot of situations now may need a little bit different of a medium Mm. in order to make up the difference on the watering end if you can't provide the humidity or vice versa. You have an ability to provide humidity, but you're gone for long extended periods of time. You can use either end. And again, what you can at year over year, season after season, continue to replicate, let that natural selection process happen, but also not be shallow minded that plants need both perfect water and perfect humidity mm-hmm. in order to survive in a lot of ways those in my experience work hand in hand you like he's saying you can get away with not having a humidifier if mm-hmm. you have a sealed space and you're allowing a more moist medium to or, take the place of that consistent moisture for the plant right and in the same way i've seen plenty of plants that the soil can be somewhat dry but because we're giving it higher humidity it's still thriving mm-hmm Oh, I could not water any of the anthuriums in our book's greenhouse right. because, yeah, it's 95% humidity in there like exactly. almost all the time. So <laughs> it, it doesn't need it. But on the flip side, we also successfully grow anthuriums mm-hmm. in our main greenhouse when the humidity is 30% right. in the spring. Um, so you're right on the money with that. Do, do you kind of share that same perspective that that's kind of a hand-in-hand relationship between both soil moisture and humidity? Well, the humidity part is is more for me just sort of like a this is the humidity I have and that's it. However, the, the soil, the soil aspect is something that I see it as a highly, like, like it has a spectrum where, you know, people often ask me, Oh, what soil mix do I use for this? And it's like, well, it, it depends. If you, if you have a plant that can tolerate a really high moisture, then, you know, and you want to, you know, maybe not have to worry about watering it so often. Well then, yeah, up the, uh, keep it to really high water retention sites. On the other hand, if you 
don't mind watering a little more frequently, but you want that really nice aeration uh, in the soil, well, then make it super porous. Like, you know, put a lot of bark to it, make it really chunky. But you have to realize that in that situation, if your light is high, then it's also going to use up that water quickly, which means, you know, you better be on top of watering. Mm-hmm. So and what I'm saying is it's not so much of a, like a, like a baking recipe where you only one thing works for one mm. plant, but rather it's just a choice about how the system works. Right. And it's not even, it's not even just what the plant wants, but it's also who are you as a plant parent? If you're someone who wants to water mm-hmm. every other day, then maybe you want something that's going to drain quicker so that mm-hmm. you get the pleasure of watering more often. Or, or even <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, you have to take into reality, you know, and intentions can be different than reality. Sometimes you can want to water that thing every other day, but if you also have the job where twice a month you get called to fly out on a plane for a four day mm. business trip, yeah, you got to take that, you know, whether you want that to be your situation or not, you also have to be realistic with, can you actually remain consistent at that? You can have the, oh no, this month I'm going to do it every day. I got it. <laughs> um, but if you know you go into a, you know, any type of role or job where those types of demands get put on you, yeah, you got to be really realistic about what not just this week looks like mm-hmm. when you're repotting a plant, but what does my general week to week look like for the next six months? Cause I may not repot this plant again for a minute. Um, all right, so mm-hmm. let me just go ahead then for uh, our listeners for the myth-busting portion of this humidity section. So um, in my experience and literature and speaking with experts and whatnot, whatnot, um, pebble trays are only good for the immediate vicinity of the plant that mm. is mm-hmm. on the tray. So let's say you have an 8-inch tray, you have one 4-inch in the middle of it. As long as that tray is filled with water then the little micro ecosystem micro environment around that one four inch plant yes humidity levels will be higher as soon as that tray dries up levels are going to immediately drop Mm -hmm. likewise setting one tray of water out in the middle of your room when you have plants around the perimeter of the room is not actually going to increase relative humidity throughout your space. So busted in the effectiveness like versus a humidifier. But again, I'm reminded of kind of Daryl's perspective, which is, you know, even if you're able to maintain your collection with a humidifier, Mm. say, um, what if that breaks and it takes a week to now get a new one and now your space is in, you know what I mean? At some point you have to keep in mind what you can realistically do. Mm -hmm. I also would say myth busted yay nay on a lot of times what you read Daryl on the internet, as far as what all these different plants need on the humidity spectrum, what have been some of the plants that maybe from everything you've ever read said, oh, no, 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 you're going to have no shot at growing this if you're saying it's 30% humidity, but you've been pleasantly surprised that that's false. Because I do think that that's out there a lot that people's, once you have a bad leaf, there's like root rot is the immediate thing. And then it's your humidity isn't good. And then it's, do you use a grow light? Like is oftentimes like kind of that circle. Do you see a lot of that? Well, I think also, I would also now take this opportunity to say like the philosophy for me of growing the plants is not, um, you know, I'm not aiming for perfect plants so long as I provide quote unquote proper care, but rather I just want the plant to, you know, grow as nice as possible, which then includes that, like I said, if it doesn't look nice under the conditions that I'm willing to give it, then it's like, 
it's sort of like, you know, then this relationship doesn't work between us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going to go <laughs> so, out of your way. You got to break up do. with that one. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's I, I mean, again, like I said, it is somewhat of a cop out which is to say, like, I'm not willing to, like, I don't know, make a huge terrarium for certain plants or whatnot, which is why I don't have those plants, for example, right? Mm. So it's like, I want to find the ones that will jive the best in the space that I have. And I mean, I mean, maybe some of you are like, know the, the master gardener's mantra, which is like <laughs> the right plant for the right space, Exactly. which means there's not, you know, the right plant for the best person who's able to take care of it. It's, it's the space is the really the primary thing. And then your care is only goes, uh, so far as to support whatever growth is possible. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no that's a hundred percent right. Um, what is there have is there any plants though that you've been kind of surprised that you've been able to that you didn't uh, have to break up? Yeah, with? Yeah, that you didn't have to break <laughs> up with that you were you were expecting heartbreak, but were pleasantly surprised. Yeah, like uh, so. There's a thing into like the you know quote unquote rare aeroids, like uh, a lot of the anthurium species, and I mean because they're kind of big, I don't put them inside the cabinet and therefore they're just, they're just sitting outside in ambient humidity. And one of them in particular is called the Anthurium radicans, which is <laughs> jokingly called the poor man's luxurious. <laughs> um, yeah, because it's like, it's the, you know, bootlate kind of, you know, bumpy surface, but it's not as big as the luxurians. Um, basically when I got it, the leaves were already starting, like, first of all, it was imported. So it, the leaves were starting to already yellow and then, Eventually, it just became like a, a stump with no leaves at all. But I kind of gave the stump a little bit of a squeeze, and I felt like it was still there was still life left in there, you know that kind of thing. And so I just left it in in the in the sphagnum moss planting medium, and, and just left it under the grow lights, left and kept watering it as as normal, you know, whenever it dried, kind of thing. And eventually, it started pushing out new leaves, and now the the new leaves are are quite a lot bigger. And so it's like if I showed you a before after picture, you would never believe that you know, this thing came back from just a stump, <laughs> right? And again, in ambient humidity, not like in a special, right. you know, kind of like ICU for plants, like it was just just out in the open. So I was really surprised with that and, and therefore also quite pleased with the Anthurium uh, genus in general, like, uh, you know, Regale with uh, Magnificum, uh, you know, the ones with the nice velvety kind of leaves, like they don't necessarily, uh, let's say, they're not 100% disappointing in ambient humidity. Right, and I think that that is a myth in and of itself that we can bust right now, is that these awesome leafy anthuriums don't need 80% humidity to still grow. In order to bust it, though, why why is that myth out there? What 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 truth is behind it? Because obviously they don't... Well, I mean, coming, they like it. They like the high humidity, but I agree with you that they don't need it. I think, I mean, the myth just comes from... If, you know, Warokianum or some of these other are from or native to cloud forests. Is there something natural in their environment that is helped by the humidity that just they can happen to go without? Well, they're, I mean, they're, they'd be epiphytes in a typically high elevation cloud forest. So they're living amongst the clouds. So, I mean, if you're inside a cloud, humidity is going to be close to hundred percent. But again, <laughs> if you're, if your sphagnum and your other things are making up for that moisture, then mm-hmm. do they need the humidity? No, we've grown them in 30% humidity yeah. before, right? No, exactly. I mean, that's all of the ones exactly. coming out of Florida, at least mm-hmm. in this state. No, I mean, you're right. Yeah, you're right. So I think it just goes... So Ethereum goes on the list of don't really need the humidity. Mm-hmm. 
oh, we're going to have some fun, uh, I think I fun I emails back to this. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, I think it also has to do with like, okay, the fact that people spend so much money on it and the fact that people want perfect and pretty things. Mm-hmm. So if I can tell if I tell you any tip that uh, surrounds the uh, you know protection of one's desire for perfection, then they're going to really latch onto it, right? Right. Um, so that's where I would say that people like want to believe it so much, right? Um, I mean, again, like like you said, I I put mine in ambient humidity, and I'm still generally happy with them. However, someone who's maybe you know more perfectionist would look at my leaves and say, "Oh, what's this little bump here? What's this brown stick <laughs> here?" Like you know what I mean? So it's it's again back to the subjective nature of what people like about their plants. Valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's valid. But I I, I love I love Daryl's attitude towards <laughs> towards towards plants in general, which is yeah, I'm gonna find the ones that are the relationship that makes sense. It, it works for me. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. It's good. Brett, do we have like one more myth you think we could dive into? Um, yeah, let's do just quickly the idea that air plants only need air. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so, I mean, I hear this a lot, especially, I feel like Tillandsia are kind of the beginner, beginner houseplant. Like, mm-hmm. literally, they, they don't own a single potted plant, but they picked up these air plants because the person at the boutique that they were getting their clothes from happened to have a basket of air plants and told them, oh my goodness, just take this, it doesn't need any soil, just put it by your window, or, you know... Put it in, in this cute little seashell and it'll mm-hmm. be fine. I was going to say, it already comes like hot glued exactly. into place so you can't move it. That's my favorite part. When you <laughs> hot glue a plant. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the idea is just because it, well, sometimes they have roots, but the roots aren't actually for water uptake. So, just because it doesn't come potted in soil doesn't mean that it doesn't still need the same basic requirements that most plants need to live. So myth is that they need, that they don't need any soil and they could just live hot glued into their thing. That, that opens up a whole possibility of plants that are wronged in the production process. Like when you go to buy a plant that's been spray painted or any of the other things, Uh, nothing irritates me more, but you're saying Brett, there is no, there is no need to repot it or there it or it can benefit. Well, no, no, no. So I mean, Tillandsia you shouldn't put in a pot, but what I'm saying is just because it doesn't come in ah. a pot doesn't mean it still doesn't need It doesn't have any care requirements. Right. It still needs water and light. It's just going to uptake them and get them in a different way than a normally potted plant. Mhm. Yeah, they can't survive indefinitely. And so, um Daryl, I was I was stalking your Instagram earlier like thinking of things we could talk about and you had posted a picture of uh, one of your Talansi, I think it was Kaput Muduse, um, that you said you had had for a while. Um, and mm-hmm. some of the, uh, some of the trichomes have rubbed off. So for our listeners, trichomes essentially are these, uh, water uptake scale type, um, uh, appendages that Talansi will have that let them gain their water, even though their roots uh, aren't in substrate that would take up water. Um, and mm-hmm. I wanted to tell this, this funny story that, um, so some staghorn ferns also have will have trichomes on their uh, on their fertile fronds, and so um, when I was working at my last job as a as a plant broker, we had sent someone a box of uh, staghorn ferns, and um, we got an email the next week, and they said that 
they had gone ahead and corrected our mistake and had removed all of the fuzz that we had left on the plants that oh, we shipped no. them. Oh, no. And so in my in my mind, I'm like, these poor plants were just stripped of everything. <laughs> oh, my. I was like, God. how much time did she spend, like, literally just scrubbing all of the fuzz off of these It's It's horns? okay. Putting on shoes every morning is really hard work. So we just <laughs> we went ahead and removed the ankles for you. You don't have to worry about that anymore. You're good. <laughs> You don't even have to tie your shoes anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Wow. What was that conversation that's, uh, afterwards? Oh, that... no. I mean, it was just the well I'm... And I mean, she was like very accusatory. Like we had sent her a damaged plan. Yeah, and, like, customer's she... always right in yeah. that situation. And so, I mean, it was just an education experience that yeah. like... I'm but so how sorry. have those done in your environment, Daryl? I, I didn't see this post, so I'm a little out of the loop with his post. But... Oh, the uh, the Talanzia. Mm-hmm. How, how, oh, yeah, has yeah. that been a good That's one for a, you? Oh, yeah. That Caput Medusa in particular was just like one day I went to a nursery, not not a clothing store. <laughs> um, and uh, it was like this huge Caput Medusa. I don't know if you know like the general size of these, but usually they're around like, I don't know, three to four inches you know, tall. But this guy was like, like the size of my hand, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just said, okay, I had to buy it. It was, it was such a nice uh, specimen. And uh, yeah, I've had it for now almost five years and since then it has uh sprouted so you know the the general life cycle of glanzia is it'll it'll sprout some flowers and then uh shortly afterwards as the flowers begin to fade it should produce like a little pup right um and then so now now it's got four pups on it and the mother plant is now starting to completely die out right and then (laughs) I think a lot of times people, when they talk about Glanzia, they'll say, oh, it dies after it flowers. And then people just get all up in arms and worried about it. Right. But it's like, no, no, no. That's the natural progression of a Glanzia. Exactly. Like, it sends out its flowers. And then at the same time, it'll start producing a couple pups. Um, now, the thing is, it, it only it will only produce those pups and get to the flowering stage if your lighting is good. Right. So, again, you put your Glanzia in the dark corner or, you know, somewhere mm-hmm. not so close to a window. It doesn't matter what you do with it in terms of how you water, like you turn it upside down or you you shake it off, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I always say that those are all, those efforts are all kind of like pointless if the plant, if the little factory, the little solar powered factory is not going, then it's not going to do all these you know wonderful things. So for me, it's like priority one is put it close to my window. Uh, actually, right now I don't have that much window space, so those that to put Medusa is under a set of grow lights. And like pretty close, I would say it has like the kind of premium spot, like right under the grow light. Nice. So, and of course, like, you know, you, I, I may be getting a little lazy with this, but like you're supposed <laughs> to, you know, soak them in water roughly <laughs> once a week. But I think also because of the way that Talantia, you know, the, like you said, the trichomes, they, they are able to kind of draw the moisture out of the air. So in fact, here's another point where misting is useful, which is when you mist and, and get the, the surface of the Talantia wet, that is uh, a good kind of like light watering, we'll call it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also one of the few, like you're kind of saying, misting is overused as a solution to your humidity problem or other mm-hmm. things. But there are, that doesn't mean that there aren't the plants that do benefit from it. Right. Like an orchid, mm. like 
Talanzia. And I, th- I think misting a Talanzia or an orchid as a method of practically watering that plant, which is a plant that can actually uptake that water in that way, is vastly different than misting your philodendron because you want to try to increase relative humidity around that philodendron. Mm-hmm. 100%. Exactly, exactly. Well, Daryl, yeah, I it's, have... it's basically oh, just the function. Sorry, I was going to say it's just the like the function of what it is, which is like you wet the surface because of misting, or are you trying to raise the humidity? Which that one is the one that's useless. And and I mean, I'll quote from my book, which is to say, <laughs> trying to raise the humidity by by misting is equivalent to trying to warm up your room by lighting a match. I love it. That is good. I now, speaking it. of the book, Daryl, for those who want to go out and get that, because I know we're going to have some people who do, where where can they go and support you and find that and support the the part of the community that you you so graciously give back in 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 your both Instagram and and elsewhere where they can plug into what you've been able to create. Sure. Yeah. So the book that I wrote is called The New Plant Parent, and I mean it's available anywhere books are sold. But I do sell signed copies on my own website, uh, houseplantjournal.com. Uh, yeah, and New Plant Parent is, is essentially just like a collection of um, the experiences that I've, I've collected of my plants. But also what I think is unique about the book is when I talk about specific plants that I show the progression of it over time, which is to say that, you know, with some plants, you could have a longer term relationship with it. And that's really what I feel like is, is the best I don't know, experience with plants is that some of them can be like your, like your friend, right? Absolutely. Like it, like you saw earlier with my staghorn, like since I've had it for so long, it has, it's not looked the same all this time, but it certainly has grown to a state that, um, you know, that I've, you know, have to constantly ask myself if I still like it, if it still looks good. And the reality is some plants may not look good after that many years. (laughs) And then you can kind of, turn it into a propagation experiment or something like that, right? So it's like realizing there's all this change that can happen and it's all part of the journey. Yeah, and just like anything else too, I think that one of the, I love that you shared right before we started recording the podcast, you shared kind of this, uh, your before and after photo of the staghorn and obviously it had been a couple of years and I think that that's one of those neat perspectives i don't think every plant parent knows is out there until you've been through it but just like your skateboard or whatever you know growing up you can kind of remember okay well that that ding happened when the garbage truck came out you know what i mean you can remember all these different things you also kind of get that ongoing like story in and of itself by that Mm -hmm. leaf on the anthurium that didn't quite make it out because it happened to be the week of christmas and you were keeping your house really really warm and the humidity was like zero (laughs) you know because or what however the different stages of life or you know the staghorn dried out in that period because i had a kid or whatever the thing is though it's it's crazy when you do have these plants with your collection long term or even today i Mm -hmm. saw one of our customers post a picture of a rio and because of its particular variegation layout i was like i know the parent plant that came from like i remember taking those cuttings Mm. and to be able to like kind of connect those dots even although we often plant things as growers that we intend to not see again Mm -hmm. by shipping to customers at the same time we do have the unsung heroes of the relationships we have with the parent plants and stock plants that have been sometimes in the same you know exact square layout on the bench for the past six years or more Mm. Um, that we do take cuttings of multiple times a year. But Daryl, I love the book because I think it's going to set us up for a great answer to one of the questions before we let any guest go on the podcast. 
Um, one of the things I'm really passionate about because when I came on to the plant scene and started selling plants direct to consumers, as well as Brett has experienced this in his own right, also being on Instagram and stuff and being known as somebody who has plant solutions is when you have good answers, people tend to make the assumption that that means, well, you haven't had your fair share of troubles. And one of the <laughs> things we try to dispel on the podcast is, hey, whether at a grower level, as an individual collector level, you're going to have pest problems. You're going to have leaves, like we've been talking about the whole podcast, that don't come out right, everything else. And mm. I think it's important that people realize that um, even the people that we view as great sources of information, a lot of that information comes from, unfortunately, some pretty great mess ups. Um, so we're curious and we're going to put you on the spot. Is there a particular horror story that you can recall back to um, that you maybe learned the most in, but also had a spectacular failure in that lesson? <laughs> a spectacular failure. I, hmm, that's, that's interesting because there are just so many to choose from, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good answer. But but I, I would say, like, I, I would say I tend to, like, procrastinate putting, like, cuttings into soil. So a lot of times that what I'll do is when I take cuttings, like, I know that, for example, in the professional growing space, you don't, like, when you take a cutting, you just put it straight into a moist medium and it'll grow, right? But for me, the part of the point of putting it into water first is, to have like a kind of intermediate kind of decor stage where it looks kind of cool, you know, sciencey, all these things mm -hmm. in lab glassware, um, just to get at the root. But then there are times where like I'm trying to, I don't know, figure out a way to let's say make some content around it, and you know, one month turns into three years, and your and your like philodendron red emerald has grown in water all <laughs> the way up to your ceiling, and I'm like, oh crap, I had this plant, it had really nice huge leaves when the guy first gave it to me like a friend from a nursery he, he he was going around just you know pruning off the the you know because once the red emerald gets past the, the um, pole well then you know you pretty much have to get rid of it otherwise it'll just get smaller leaves so he cut that piece off and gave it to me and I ended up leaving it in water for almost three years um, <laughs> and, and I finally finally got it into a, a pot now and now it's actually cut into uh, three sections so you know that one piece became three smaller sections that I'm now potted into a, a pot. And it's like, I could have had it start from leaves that were almost like eight inches to, to a foot long. Um, but now they, you know, the leaves that are left over on there have reverted back to a very juvenile, you know, four inches kind of size. So it's almost like I kind of uh, gave up the uh, glory of the, <laughs> the top cutting. Um, and I think it, it speaks to, Sometimes we're maybe obsessed with wanting to make content around it, and then and then it actually spins itself into procrastinating doing it. <laughs> um, but I mean, luckily, I think for hopefully for you guys in the in nursery that that doesn't really happen because you know you you constantly have to do the stuff. But you know, for me and probably a lot of other people who are who are quote unquote plant influencers, it's like they have a lot of duties to do. But then part of it might be that it it could way way on them that oh i should film this or i should mm -hmm. document this right um so just to kind of find that balance and for me that's kind of like it's not the single biggest mess up but it's like a lot of times that's what ends up happening is that 
I don't get a chance to film it or something, and then I do it, and I regret not I filming need, it, or it's the I other need, way around. I didn't know I needed to hear this, but I needed to hear this. Thank yeah, you. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a, this is therapy yeah, in its own, its own way. I also think there's a lot of people who, in that same kind of vein, um, will just kind of freeze in fear, too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I'm always willing to kind of push somebody over the ledge, you know, whether in our team in the greenhouse, you know, experiment with that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't, if you think it could withstand that light, just put a single one of them right. on that bench and come back to it two weeks later. You know, sometimes you, you're, you don't know the right answer. We don't even know. He mentioned, do we at a greenhouse level? I mean, from a greenhouse level, it's more about managing the fact that, you know, for a fact hard evidence Mm -hmm. that there are way too many things compared to the number of things you can accomplish this week. Mm -hmm. And you have to truly pick your poison on, you know, pest first, uh, you know, Uh, getting, getting things planted. And yeah, that's going to come with ignoring that batch. I mean, we did that with some of the, the newer philodendrons Mm -hmm. that are still in early production for us. Like we probably could have chopped into those mid summer, but because of the other priorities we had going on, like Mm -hmm. it just didn't get done. And yet somebody else could walk past and be like, what do you mean? You can't find the time to like stick the cuttings that are worth this or whatever. Like, sorry, no. Yeah. (laughs) I need to sleep at some point. (laughs) Yeah. I did make Rio the number one thing, the number one sold skew by quantity, but that comes at the cost of, we didn't grow nearly as many pink princesses this year as we did the year before. Everything else comes at, you know, a cost, you know, of that. But I do think a lot of people just freeze Mm -hmm. and decide that, well, because I don't know the, perfect thing to do i'm not going to do anything and i guess i would be the one to suggest go ahead and do it yeah like you're not going to learn that lesson until you start doing and you know you're not going to learn how it's going to respond in the winter till you put it in your room let it experience the ambient like daryl's been saying you know let the survival of the fittest mentality dictate what you know plants you continue to house in your environment but i think a lot of people do just stop at the well i don't have the right pot or i don't have the this or I don't know mm-hmm. enough. And the reality is you learn much faster by just going ahead and chopping it and having the one that succeeds because you did it one way and having the other one fail because you, you know. Gabriella Plants, we encourage you to experiment. Yeah, it's, it. okay, it's okay That's to That's my fail. whole house right now is just, <laughs> it's a war zone right now. There's plants out here like battling for the sun space and everything. And I'm like, I, if you make it, you're sticking with me. If not... I know where to get more. I love it. I love it. Um, Daryl, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast. Once again, where can people go find more about you? And we'll make sure to put all those links and stuff in the podcast description as well for those uh, listeners who are trying to find them. Sure, yeah. So I'm on Instagram at houseplantjournal and my website, houseplantjournal.com. Also on YouTube, although I haven't put too many like videos recently, but I, you know, intend to put more. Um, Yeah, and, and my book is called The New Plant Parent. Um, yeah, and I also have an online course called uh, Essentials of Houseplant Enjoyment. And I think it's titled precisely that way because it's all about, um, you know, how do you derive the maximum enjoyment for, you know, quite honestly, the least amount of work, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's kind of like me uh, doing my engineering thing, which is like you know, <laughs> the maximum output for the minimum input. Yep, that's that, awesome. that, that written by an engineer, 100%. Well, Daryl, I did just yeah. want to end with, this is a quote from um, your your bio that says, a green thumb isn't about luck, but about being observant and knowing how Mother Nature takes care of her houseplants. And I just think that is so Ooh, true. That's that's poetic. Yeah, it's, it's just so good. <laughs> I mean, I hear all the time people say, oh, I, I, 
I have black thumbs. I like I don't I don't have a green thumb. And I think it's just what we're talking about today is you just need to do a little research, experiment, learn about your plants. And I think anyone, you know, if if you just do the work to understand how how nature does and it, I, that I, you I, can do it too. I love that he uses the word observe. Like, cause yeah, mm. you learn so much by doing the thing, but then more importantly, monitoring how that actual like how that affected the outcome exactly and then mod that's how you learn i mean that's how you you grow in anything else is how you learn to, to ride a bike or the next thing <laughs> so um daryl it's been amazing having you on the podcast and uh we'll have to catch up with you again sometime soon absolutely love that guys thank you All right. bye daryl that was really fun brad that was really, that was really great. fun. That was great. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to reach out to him. Zach, can we make sure we uh, try to get some of those books for shop? Yes. Especially yes. if we can get some signed copies. I yes. mean, like, I'll, yeah. Let's get yeah. those in. Get on that. Yeah. I'll make that note. Um, what else do you think? I mean, that was great. I mean, Daryl's one of the, I mean, I really only have a handful of people in the entire plant community that I would vouch myself as being a reputable source of like actual scientific information that I would feel comfortable sending you to to like actually learn and know that it's all 100% correct and he is one of them so oh yeah and you can tell like like we said in the podcast and in the interview the the engineering side mm -hmm. definitely sticking out and obviously we're in a huge support of the whole concept of using sensors to mm -hmm. measure data and be able to help customers transition plants and and to be able to future in the future care for their plants better by having some of these you know i really liked how he was on the same page as far as we we have ways to measure these things and talk about real numbers instead of using the generic phrases like mm -hmm. you know high humidity or you know low light um, which tend to not really describe exactly what the plant needs right so it was really cool to hear him kind of go into that because that's been a lot of why we've been testing and kind of you know tinkering with the ways that we're trying to to capture those data points is because that is comparing number to number and we can we can all imagine a world where one day we will be able to tell our customer that the plant wants 600 to 1400 foot candles instead mm -hmm. of having to say bright indirect light you know <laughs> oh it's I mean? coming one oh day. it's coming one day <laughs> the whole dev team is rushing their way down <laughs> to that. um no but it was a uh, really great to have daryl um like we said we'll put all the all his links and things in the show notes and yeah, if you haven't gone down the rabbit hole of houseplant journal please check oh out. i was gonna say like i only looked at it for maybe 10 minutes today because that was all the time i had but yeah, you could invest mm -hmm. like a good YouTube channel. That's one of my favorite things in life is to find like a YouTube <laughs> channel that's been existing for like three years mm -hmm. with consistent content because you can like really get into it. It's like coming into a TV show like mm -hmm. season three or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, his, and his like perspective on it is just very like easy to understand, you know, especially because he is coming just from an engineering background. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. he just knows. And, and I like just how he would go into like don't stress it like if you're trying if you're bringing plants in and it's not working and it's not working for your environment find something else like yeah. don't don't make it to the point where you hate house plants because right. you can't keep these ones alive because your environment just isn't and a lot of set people up for need that. To hear that yeah, yeah. a lot of like, like you said yeah. yeah i mean we all need to hear it a little mm -hmm. bit too and it's okay to make those mistakes i think that's an okay lesson too but mm -hmm. to know what works in your environment which is always something we struggle with on 
like taking care of our customers is mm -hmm. yeah and not even that we don't want to help but i need a little bit more information what kind of window are we talking about right. you know there's just so many other questions i love though how daryl breaks everything down like you're saying zach into something that like you can actually walk away with and do something about and mm -hmm. actually have a new perspective um the number of times you can kind of i mean that was kind of the point of the podcast the number of times you can reread low light air quotes <laughs> compared to actually getting somebody who's like low light but here's what i found actually kind of works exactly. you know that's just so much more helpful and something that we want to be able to do but also we want to be able to highlight especially in the podcast other people like tumblr days <laughs> like for real you know there are people who are long older right. than he, us he was driving the bandwagon he didn't jump on it yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and if anything we jumped on it by that math but mm -hmm. you know it's important to highlight those people because like you're saying everyone can be have that just like we went through therapy with the, that refreshed perspective i feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people can benefit from that so it was really great having him on the podcast um, with that, anything else to close? Um, you guys, lots of things. No, uh, I mean, ahead. we're going to keep getting awesome guests from the plant community on here. And I mean, some weeks it'll be just us talking, but we're going to keep trying to, you know, broaden perspectives and get all different people. Like, like you said at the very beginning, I mean, the point of this podcast is to get not only perspectives, but just stories from everyone from all aspects of this community. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of, you know, he has his Instagram, mm -hmm. she has hers, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, it's been nice to be able to do our small part and being able to host some of these conversations. I know I was talking with Tyler the other day too, Tyler mm -hmm. Thrasher. So we may have him back on the podcast at some point too. Mm. Um, yeah, just, yeah, listeners, if you, if you look up or follow anybody that you would love to hear on the podcast, Feel free to send uh, yeah. send their info over, and we would we'll yeah, do our best. Yeah, send to get them, them a message saying, "Hey, you should go on the at Every Plant Story podcast, and also <laughs> let us know you sent that message so we can follow up." And by exactly. us, I mean Zach. <laughs> Zach's gonna 100 percent do that. Um, Zach, great stuff on uh, the last vlog uh, that was down in Miami with the uh, with Brett. Although I have one thing, I guess we could close the podcast on this. What the heck was with the bathtub? Okay, Brett. <laughs> you got a lot of explaining. I know I just popped that on you out of nowhere, but you got uh, a lot of explaining to do in my mind. I, I mean, the, did that cause any incidentals? To who? To, to the, the hotel. I mean, I mean, you didn't get any credit card charges. Well, you? we just no. weren't there when they, when they <laughs> okay. saw it. Okay, okay, okay. For the listeners, bathtub. He's referencing one. Go watch the vlog, and you'll yeah, know, you gotta you'll go. Know, yeah, you gotta go watch yeah, it. Yeah, you'll know, know what uh, he's talking about, but. Um, no, I mean it was there was a lot of plants in that bathtub, a lot of cuttings in that They bathtub. all made it out though. They all made it out of the bathtub. Yeah. Well yeah. Okay. Because I'm just imagining shop. like I don't know, my mind just wanders, so I'm just imagining like the cleaning cleaning lady. Well like trying to piece was, together is this the cleanup there after was the murder? Sphagnum, <laughs> there was sphagnum moss all over the bathroom. And so that cleaning lady when she came in probably was like, What happened in here? But also I feel like sphagnum, if you don't know. <laughs> like the identity of who was staying there that he's like a grower guy it's a very odd substance right yeah, of, all, like the how, things, of visually, all the things they have to clean it's like, it's like what is this dirty and where did these guys come from like, <laughs> yeah. what? they've well, been here for like three hours my point is like everyone can recognize like a packing peanut or like touch foam <laughs> right. and be like oh this is foam yeah. if you have no idea what wet sphagnum is <laughs> like, and then you just like this? grab a good clump with your hand like <laughs> that has got to be a very yeah did i 
a hidden camera bringing the hazmat suit. They think it's something <laughs> way worse than it is. Anyways, uh, but yeah, that was a funny little. Uh, <laughs> I saw I was previewing the vlog while I was on uh, my trip with Miriam, and we both just lost it when it goes to that scene. So you'll have to check out the vlog on YouTube. Search Gabriel the Plant. You'll find it. Um, with that, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Every Plant Story podcast. If you have any feedback for us, you can shoot it to us in a DM on Instagram at Every Plant Story or send it to us in an email at feedback at everyplantstory.com. And with that, we will catch you guys in the next podcast. Bye, guys. See ya. Bye.